welcome to one more episode of Animation Celery. Crunchy conversations about classic cartoons. So today we're gonna take the time to show you the bright side of the dark side. Starting with Dark Matsy, which is me. And I'm Bright Micah? I don't know what that's from. Oh. Anyway. It's a it's an obscure cartoon called Ruby Gloom. Oh, okay, that thing. Yeah. All right. So, folks, uh, is this your first episode of Animation Celery? Well, here's how it goes. Matsy and I assign each other cartoons to watch, and the next week we review and discuss them. Today, we're going to be looking at two Merry Melodies, Fox Pop and Strangled Eggs, as well as a Droopy cartoon and another entry from The Animation Workshop. And like usual, we're going to have a freestyle chat first, so lead us off, Matsy. Well, if they are listening to the first, if, if it is their first time listening to Animation Celery, they wouldn't know that this is the usual. <laughs> anyway. Okay. They do now. Um, yeah. You know what? I totally forgot that I was supposed to watch any cartoons this week. What? Uh, so I guess I will use this time to talk about the thing that I did watch a lot of over this past week, which is VTubers. Hey, that's now they're, they're animated, kind of. Yeah, we we've talked about VTubers before. Uh, Micah brought up Corone mm -hmm. and I've mentioned a couple of other ones in passing. But recently I have found the thing that I love to do, like almost like listening to a podcast, really, mm -hmm. is watch the ladies at Hololive English play Minecraft. OK, uh, generally, I will watch Crony, Oru Crony, mm. um, who is uh, character wise, the warden of time. I've <sighs> I guess I may as well talk <laughs> about this because I've gotten way too I know way too much about the lore of these VTubers now. Sure. Because I looked it up and it's like there's a VTuber wiki and I was like, OK, let me learn who these people are supposed to be. Uh, Oru Crony is a member of, she's one of the five members of the Hololive English Council, <laughs> uh, who are beings that embody various aspects of the universe. Uh, Oru Crony is the Warden of Time. Uh, Tsumoko, Tsumoko? I, okay. They never use their last name, but Sana. Yeah. Uh, she represents space. Uh, huh. her... Her deal is that she's like a trillion centimeters tall or something, which is like bigger than the sun. Huh. Um, but also she has she sometimes has this little pink spiral thing on her head, which is a size limiter. So she can be normal human size. <laughs> so she can operate controllers, I guess. Uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Huh. Uh, there's uh, what's her name? Hakos Bales. Who's a, oh, by the way, Crony is just a woman and Sana is also just a woman. Well, I was um, thinking, I was thinking as you're describing these, like, forces of the universe that their yeah. Japanese counterparts are just like, I'm a sexy cat, you know? Well, Hakos Bales is a sexy rat. Oh, okay. Uh, she represents chaos. And okay. supposedly she's the leader because chaos is the primordial material from which all else was formed. All right. But, but she's so chaotic that she actually doesn't care about being a leader. Uh, and so she's not. Also, she's 
like this young Australian girl. Okay. Um, and then who else is there? There's uh, Sarah's Fauna, who's a, I think she's like a Kieran or something. But she represents nature. And then I think the fifth member is uh, Nanashi Mume, who is an owl. I, I say owl and rat and stuff, but they're all just anime girls. Sure. Um, and she has like two feathers in her head, so she's an owl. Um, I can't remember what she represents, but um, they are the five council members. And then there's the myth section, which is, uh, let me see, there's uh, someone, a, Tanahashi Kiara, I think it is, who is, hmm. I don't know, some I haven't really watched much of her. She's such a, just a lady. She might be a fox. I'm not sure. Okay. Um, Amelia Watson, or the, these names, by the way, are all the Japanese style, which means family name first. Well, it's kind so, of funny that they're all that way. You yeah. know, that they don't embody Western cultures instead, but okay. It, it really? Yeah. Cause so when I say Oru crony in English terms, that would be crony Oru. Okay. Um, so who did I just say? Uh, oh, uh, Amelia Watson, Amelia. Okay. Uh, who her deal is she's a detective. Um, and there's someone else I don't remember and another person I don't remember. And then there's Gargura. Yes. And Gargura is this little shark girl and she is very cute and fun to watch. And I was astounded when I was looking at the wiki and discovered that in the like one or two years she has been active. Yeah. Gargura has become the most subscribed VTuber in the world. Huh. Which blew my mind. I mean, I can understand why she's very popular, but I was like, it's such a relatively old medium that I was like, really? Her? Yeah. Cute uh appeals to people, I guess. I like her saw blade teeth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's. Yeah, I'm looking uh, at the. I, like, I, oh, yeah, yeah go, sorry, go, 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 go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. I like she told a story once about um, somebody, some fan of hers. I think they all have names for their fans. I think hers are member shrimps. <laughs> and yeah, um, she was talking about how one of her member shrimps said that he hit up a relationship with a girl because he saw they were at the gas station and he saw like a Gargura sticker on her window or something. And it's mm -hmm. like, oh, hey, there's something. Happens. And so she's like, I, I don't know why this tickled me so much. But she said, so if you want to hit up ladies at the gas station, I'll be your wingman. Ha, neat. Anyway, I've never what were seen you going to say? I, well, on that, I, I've never seen any evidence of VTubers in like real life. I've never seen somebody with a button on their backpack or anything like that. Mm hmm. I don't know. Keep my eyes open. I've, I've seen, um, actually, this ties into Animation Celery. Uh, I may have told this story, actually. I was mm -hmm. walking past um, this parking lot, and it's 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 outside of a business, so all the same cars are always there, because I guess it's the employees. Yeah. And suddenly there was a sticker in the window, and it shocked me, because I recognized what it was. It was the mascot of Filipino fast food chain Jollibee's. <laughs> oh, right, right. Which, which I recognized uh, because of Toonsy. Ha, yeah, yeah. Well, that's and I was cool. like, hey, and apparently there's a Jollibee's in Vancouver now. Hmm. Hmm. So. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I remember that anecdote now. 
Actually, yeah, the thing yeah. the thing I was going to mention earlier is I started looking at the uh, promotional image for the English Council. Yes. And uh, the one character who's a rat, she has rat ears atop her uh, two. I think she's. I think she's got two pigtails. Yeah, um, she generally does. Yes, Hakos Bales or Hakos Bale. Well, <laughs> I do enjoy that her crop top has the word "rat" across it, just in case you needed to confirm it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In addition to the rat on top of her head, uh, the mouse trap attached to one of her ears, and the spiked collar where the spike in the front is a wedge of cheese. Hmm. I kind of wish these were a little more out there. Like, yeah. the, the owl should have big round eyes. <laughs> hmm. Anyway, anyway, watching them play Minecraft is really fun. Or oh, at least yeah. relaxing. Like, because, like, the, <laughs> they do such... Crony, who's the main one that I watch, she's kind of the hub of everything because she has built this home called the Bunkeroni, <laughs> where her goal was to have a one-stop shop for every resource in the game. So she has like a farm with all the different um, foods that you can get. Uh, she has a room where she's constantly cooking sand into glass or cobblestone into stone. Um, she has mm. a, a cow farm. She has a room where she's figured out a machine where there's a chicken in the top. And it goes through a series of hoppers and burners so that there's this constant supply of cooked chickens and feathers in a chest at the bottom. Good God. Okay. Yeah. Um, Factory farming. Yeah. And it's really fun to see like <laughs> the projects that people do and also the pranks that they pull because mm -hmm. Crony's thing is that she loves everything to be really organized. Like you'll see her in streams with other people and they'll be like doing something and she'll be looking at a chest for something, but then she'll stop and like reorganize other people's chests. Mm. Um, but there, and there was a there's a classic clip that you can find on YouTube where she's going through her um, she's going through her farm and she gets to like the beets section and she finds that one row of beets has been completely replaced with berry bushes yeah. and berries are Mume's thing. And okay. so so she like calls Mume over. She's like, hey, come here, come here, come here. And Mume's and she's like, what is this? It's like berries. Uh huh. And what are these? Uh, beats. Okay, so what is this doing here? And Mumei just goes, I don't know, it's your farm, and then walks away. Yeah. There was one recently, I loved it, where Crony, she goes, to, she logs in, she starts her scream, she goes to the bunk, Crony, and she hears this drip noise. Yeah. She's like, what is that? And drip and she's stopping she's like she stops her own background music turns on the subtitles of the game because she's like am i going crazy does anybody else hear that what is that and it's this drip and she's like what's going on and so the first part of her stream was her just going through the bunker trying to find where this drip noise is coming from and she's like digging through the walls and stuff she's like what's going on and finally she finds this elaborate setup of redstone attached to a, a note block set up to make this dripping noise. Yeah, okay. And it turns out that Gora had put that there in one of her streams, just as a prank, because she knew that that drip noise would drive Crony specifically crazy. And it did. Hey. It, anyway, it's... <laughs> that was my replacement for cartoons this week. It was really amusing. I 
I just really like I it's weird how like. A little over a year ago, my my exposure to VTubers was seeing Japanese reaction videos to Smash Brothers announcements because sure. North American Smash Brothers announcements would be guys going, who's, oh my God, it's, you know. <laughs> you spiked, <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah, it's like, yeah. oh my gosh, it's, it's, it, I, I can't remember who's in that game now. Um, it's Shulk. Shulk, who's Shulk? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so like, and you know, it, Japanese people never want to show their face on camera. So it's all like a Velociraptor or a I was going to say guy. the Velociraptor, surely you're yeah, talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, or or a, yeah, yeah. a person, not a VTuber, but a person in a full Samus costume. Uh, OK, really impressive, actually. That mm-hmm. guy or girl flipped out yeah. when the Metroid Dread announcement came. Say so you'll have to finish his uh, podcast in order to see <laughs> whether it's a guy <laughs> or girl. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. But anyway, I've gone from that level of exposure to VTubers to two years later, knowing the lore of like 10 of them. <laughs> you're in so deep like it's funny because i introduced them to you but i just occasionally will just you know watch a clip of people freaking out to crony doing a handspring you know <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> kind of yeah um, hey listening watching and listening to other people play minecraft is yeah. really cool and relaxing huh yeah and it helps because my experience in minecraft is not knowing what to build and right. you kind of need a project in that game so it's like, you know, let me see people with better ideas of what to do with their time, you know, build a <laughs> bunker that contains every resource in the game or build a train line that goes over the entire server. Things like mm. that. Now, w- when you when you said a character stormed off or, you know, walked away, um, I assume you mean that her avatar clicked and dragged off screen. No, I mean, like in like in Minecraft. Oh, like, okay, okay. The character in Minecraft just turned around and left. Actually, it was funny because I think when she greeted her, it's like she was like, "Oh, Mume," and Mume goes like, "Hi," and then sets down a block of dirt and then plants a berry bush on top of it and walked away. Hmm. What a flex! I I do kind of like the limited abilities of avatars. Most of them, right? Yeah. But the the fun they have is like mime performers, you know, like I'm eating now. Nom, 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 nom. You know, they're moving their yeah, jaw yeah. so the avatar moves a lot. Or, or there was <laughs> one actually that I just saw with Corone uh, actually. Yeah. Who um she was doing something, and the chat started calling her out for eating on stream. Yeah. Because yeah. they could see the avatar's mouth moving when she wasn't talking. Right. <laughs> Amusing. Yeah. Cute um, stuff. What else? Uh, oh, also, my my pick of a Colorado versus New York Rangers Stanley Cup final was half right. It's yeah. Colorado versus the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, I'm picking Colorado to win. Now, as of right now, Colorado has already won the first game. So, you know, I'm not cheating. Like, I had already picked Colorado to beat New York. So me picking Colorado is not jumping on the bandwagon of the team that's already one game up. It was mm-hmm. that was always my plan. Well, it was my backup plan after Carolina lost. So there, I guess next time we talk to you, we'll probably know who the winner is. Um, who's your winner, Micah? What do you got? What what's happening with you uh, on this <laughs> week? Um, well, uh, as you directed, I did watch Rejected. The Oh, right. 
I collection I told of you commercials. Yeah. Yeah. The collection of commercials made by Don Hertzfeld. Yes. And I hadn't seen it before. I don't think I'd seen it before. I mean, hmm. I've seen these animations before, but maybe not this. So what it is, is a collection of ads that he was commissioned to make for the Family Learning Channel and for Johnson & Mills. But they rejected them all because, well, they're inappropriate. But I will say, I guess you get whom you paid for, right? <laughs> um, so some of them are just, you know, weird and abstract, like two people saying things that are totally irrelevant to the thing. And then some of them are some of them are kind of obscene, too. You know, probably the I would guess the more quoted one would be the uh, my was it my anus is bleeding? Or is that the one? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah, the yeah. one. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I'd, I'd seen some of his animation, some of this style of animation from him before yeah. uh, at Spike and Mike's Sick and Twisted Animation Festival. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think looking at it now, um, it's funny, but not enough to make me laugh because maybe in a lot of cases indirectly, everybody, every... Um, amateur animation humorist has this style now. Yes, you're right. Randomness yeah. is kind of the new... Like, I have watched that again recently, and there were only a couple of ones in that that I actually went, that is legitimately funny. Yeah. There's one. There's one where this... It's just this guy standing there, and on the other side of the screen is a stop sign. Mm-hmm. And then a UFO comes down, an alien comes out, takes the guy's eyes out and flies away. And then the blind man just walks across the screen and runs into the stop sign. That (laughs) I think is still funny. Yeah. But two people just saying garbage at each other. Yeah. That doesn't hold up. Hmm. Yeah. Even the audio cues people use now, whether it's like the way people act or also when, um, they will um, juxtapose a shot, one shot where there's this noise and then it entirely cuts out for the other shot and then goes back to the first one and the noise is there. Is there you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, <laughs> those obnoxious uh, what's up ads for the Super Bowl, right? Kind of, yeah. Yeah. It's like two guys going, whoop, whoop, yeah. Uh, whoop. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so even, even beyond animation, this humor is penetrated everywhere. And I don't think Hertz felt directly influenced you know very many of them but it's definitely there if you trace it back i think sure like this was early enough like this film was like what 2000 2001 2000 Um, yeah yeah really early in the the advent of internet humor like it when it came out there was no youtube to watch it on you had to like download the movie hmm this is uh this is drawn on paper too and i got (laughs) The one I mentioned before, the screen fills with blood and every frame somebody had to with a red felt just, you know, do all that blood in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Uh, and the it, it ends with a big showstopper where there's a tear, a literal tear in the paper that acts like a black hole and is sucking all the elements in. And yeah. characters are like in a maelstrom where the paper they're drawn is crumpled, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, that was pretty cool. Yeah, he plays with the medium in a cool way. Like, there's one where, like, like two characters are, like, pounding on the paper like they're trying to get out. And right. he's 
he's animated like a spike under the paper as they're pounding on it. Hmm. Um, there's another one that he did for it was. Um, I think it's called I think it's called the animation show with him and Mike Judge uh, collecting a bunch of different animations like from different people all around the world. Interesting. Um, and there's there's little interstitials that they've animated. And one of them is Don Hertzfeld talking about the third dimension. And mm. it'll as part of that, he'll have they'll have like um, the characters drawn and animated on paper. But also there are like toys laid on top of the paper, like three dimensional okay. objects moving around. Yeah. So, again, like just playing with the medium in a really cool way. Yeah. Anyway, it was it was a good short, but like I said, uh, it's kind of aged out a little bit. Yeah, 20 years of people emulating that style of humor have dulled it a little bit. Yeah. But at least you've seen it now. Yep. Um I I returned to Kid Cosmic and oh, I finished that thing. Yeah. Yeah, I finished season 1. So ah, Hooray. Pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I I would like Netflix to make more of that kind of thing. Mm, mm. I mean, it was fun and it's great to look at. It's yep. kind of the culmination of that clunky cartoon network style. You yeah. Know? It's I had guess, a chance yeah. to evolve and be something actually kind of nice to look at. Mm -hmm. um, and the characters are good. I thought it was pretty swell. I did think that the climax of that, that uh, kid goes to a rather gigantic leap of logic, hmm. you know. Um, things aren't like there in comics, except this one specific comic. That's exactly what's going on here. And that everyone trusts him. You're like, oh, okay, sure. Why not? Yeah. That was kind of amazing. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll probably get into season two soon enough. Yeah, um, I stopped actually. I That's one of the ones that I need to get back to. Mm -hmm. It's partway through season two. I don't know what it was, but I just kind of lost interest in it. And I don't know why. I well, really don't. Like, maybe it's just that the first season was establishing characters and now in the second season all the characters are established right and so it's a little less interesting well sure the fellowship of the ring is the best one right so you know mm, yeah, set, setting up is easy or not easy yeah. but it it's less complicated yeah yeah um uh see i've continued on of course with friendship is magic my little pony ninth ninth season um yes. okay i got to an episode uh, where Twilight is freaking out as she does uh, because mm -hmm. it's very important to her that th she three-peat on the Ponyville trivia night. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, well, so what this is, is it's a truer sports episode than all of the Buckball episodes <laughs> because each pony is in a competition and that shows the contrast of their abilities and personalities. That's what I really like about that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. One of the neat things in there is a lot of the trivia questions are actually from prior episodes. Ah. Um, yeah. And one of the uh, great moment. Oh, I should I should describe the basic plot for you is that. Um, uh, yes. Yeah, so Twilight is over has overanalyzed everything about it. And one of the rules is it's random partners. OK, but the. Uh, the. Uh, wild card is that Pinkie Pie has showed up for these. It's her first one. And oh. wouldn't you wouldn't you know Twilight and Pinkie Pie are paired together? <laughs> um, 
Yeah, yeah. So she's she she's nervous and a bit of a control freak, you know, about about yeah. this partnership. Anyway, yeah. I say one of the, the funniest moments in there is um, Gra- Granny Smith is the caller of the questions, and okay. she's pulling the uh, categories out of a glass bowl. Yeah. And so she pulls it up as the next category is apples. <laughs> you hear <laughs> Rainbow Rainbow Dash call out rigged. <laughs> um, yeah, and like, and like Applejack counters. Uh, I didn't hear you complaining when the topic was Wonderbolts. Yeah. Anyway, so the question comes up, and Applejack chokes. <laughs> oh no! Fluttershy has the answer. You know, while Applejack is panicking, Fluttershy's like, uh, "Um, I don't know, but is the answer Zap Apples?" <laughs> she gets the point. <laughs> uh. That was pretty funny. That sounds um, good. Yeah, and I watched a further episode. It was uh, the summer sun celebration, except it had it was uh, Twilight running it as you know the uh, oh, right. the, the the primer to her and the the rest of the main six replacing Celestia and Luna. Luna. Um, it really does I, sound like a cult, like a final season because it's like here's a bunch of callbacks yeah. to all the previous episodes, and here is a callback to the whole setup in season one, episode one. Right, but it's it's good stuff. Um, this episode, re- what it really is, well, I guess it w- runs on two tracks. Uh, one is Twilight, um, having learned that she needs to delegate. She, she can't be a total control freak and she, she could trust her friends to do these things. But then the friends, um, have screw ups and are afraid to ask her and panic her. Right. Mm. But anyway, those screw ups are a result of the second track of the story where, the frenemies, Cozy Glow, Tyrek, and Chrysalis. Uh, Grogu has gone out, so they've taken this one little window of time to break into Canterlot and find the answer in the library of how to use the magic bell that he'd sent them to retrieve. Oh, right. Yes. Um, anyway, I, I like seeing those three work together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty fun. So... You know, it continues. These episodes are good. So, you know, they're finishing this last season strong, it looks like. That's good. It was yeah. a it was a really good show that kind of lost steam. And yeah. so it's nice that it's having a decent send off. Yeah. So I'll keep you up. Oh, wait, hold on here. The uh, final animation celery slammers trailer just released before the game's release. Oh, I know. Oh, well, wow. I can tell you're excited. I um, am like, <laughs> I, 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 I want to know what that Velociraptor is going to think. <laughs> well, as always, I'm going to describe the action of this entirely fake video game trailer. Yes. So the logo shows up complete with a medallion that has stocky, the animation celery mascot. It falls to reveal the battle pen stage. A spotlight shows the great Puccini who begins singing. Then Leprentis walks in playing his mandolin. We see their names and character numbers. And then the jester busts his mandolin on Puccini. Puccini turns into a sailor suited boy and bursts his balloon in the apprentice's face. Cape Man is announced as he runs through both of them on his bike. And then Spartacus dive kicks him off his ride, fires a wrist grapple and hurls the apprentice. Puccini in square dance collar form claps through the collection of the three slammers. And the group continues to brawl when the medallion reappears. And Stocky, the celery stock dancer, steps out and is announced as the official fighter. He slaps Puccini with his gloved hand, and a freeze frame announces, Everyone is here! 
Oh, so somebody trademark that tagline real quick. <laughs> yes, it's original tag. So little Audrey stuffs her face with sweets and Junior, the carnivorous plant from Little Shop, eats a ham. Hyo Hyo, the little uh, helicopter bell from Kaiba, cycles the mind ship from warp to chronico to hippo. And then Maeve enters and shapeshifts into a wolf and chases him off. Denver Dapper Dooley struts in, and he points and laughs at Japanese Beetle from the Blue Racer? Whoa, he's wait. been Yeah, that racist character. <laughs> he's been <laughs> upsized here, just like Olimar from Smash Brothers, right? Because really, he'd be really small, usually. Yeah. Um, anyway, the little judo guy throws Dooley. And then we get Donkey Kong from Donkey Kong Country Cartoon and Princess Toadstool from the Super Mario Brothers Super Show. And King Hippo and Eggplant Wizard from Captain N. Oh, like, wow. Yeah. How fast do they develop these characters? We just did hmm. that episode. <laughs> it's, it's even a gestalt character at that. Everyone is here. Dora Standpipe hustles through with a static posture and then hurries the other way while being chased by Beetlejuice. There's Ludo from Star vs. the Forces of Evil and the ultra-famous Geppel from New Adventures of He-Man. As if you have to tell people where Geppel's from. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, Captain Lou from Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling eats TV dinners ejected by Art Cuisine's K-Art Chopper. Gandy Goose draws a staircase with his magic pencil and walks onto the stage. And uh -huh. there, there awaits Ketamono, the masked wolf from Popey the Performer. Oh my. It, <laughs> his mind is blown, right? His sad yeah. mask falls off to show a glad mask. Everyone is here. You see all the characters standing together and Stocky walks through, slapping each one of them in the face as he goes by. <laughs> <laughs> Then we see the lineup of DLC to come. Download content. Check this out. Dio Brando from JoJo's. Wamawink from Centaur World. Piderman. Huh. And, and Opal from Steven Universe. I mean, this game is going to be hype. It really, really is. I mean, it's fake and entirely a gag, but wow, is it cool? Yeah. Yeah. Good times. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I will uh, turn this over to a better storyteller. Why don't you talk to us, talk to us about Fox Pop? Better storyteller. Hmm. Okay. I, I, I don't mean you. I mean Chuck Jones. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, that, I'll, I'll buy that. Yeah. Uh, Chuck yeah. Jones. Um, We got... What is this? 1942? Chuck Jones? Merry Melodies? This is called Fox Pop. Ahem. So here's the deal. It opens up with the shadowy figure of a fox creeping up on a log cabin where some dude is just sitting in there uh, listening to his radio. Now, remember, 1942 radio was like the home entertainment I don't mm. even know if TV existed yet. Maybe it did, but it wasn't very widespread. But yeah, in any case, radio was the thing. And so this fox, this sneaky, devilish looking fox creeps up and steals the radio and he <laughs> runs with it. 
back into the forest where he's a little less. Uh, um, What's the word I'm looking for? Sinister. Yeah. He's just a cartoony fox with a ribbon on his tail. And I'm not really sure what that is. Is this an established character? No, no name to this guy. He's just okay. here, I guess. He's it, it, it differentiates him from other foxes, I guess. Yeah, okay. Um, so anyway, yeah, he takes this radio back into the woods and starts smashing it with an axe, <laughs> which causes two crows nearby to wonder if he's just crazy or what. And so they ask him, are you crazy or what? More or less. And... Well, they really ask him what's biting him, and the fox explains what's biting him by going into a flashback. So, as woodland creatures tend to in these cartoons, he was outside someone's house picking through the garbage cans for food. He's doing the gag that they always do where he's like, he picks up a trash can lid and he's using it like a waiter's tray as he takes his selection of garbage. Mm. Above him, in the window... It might actually be the same log cabin now that I'm thinking about it. But oh, yeah. um Well, it's, that's why he's got a vendetta against that radio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um anyway, this radio starts talking about how the big thing this year is fox. Everyone loves foxes. The ladies love foxes in on Fifth Avenue in New York and in, in Hollywood and Miami Beach. And the fox is listening to this and he's he's imagining like all these high class foxes hanging with movie stars and bikini babes. Hmm. Now, as humans, of course, we realize that this commercial is talking about fox fur coats and accessories, specifically from the Sterling Silver Fox Farm. But the fox, it doesn't explicitly say furs. It just says foxes. All the ladies want foxes. Right. So this fox is thinking, well, hey, it sounds like Sterling Silver Fox Farm is the place to be. And so he tracks it down. He finds one of their leg hold traps outside and gingerly places his tail into it. Uh, and then starts making, you know, your your Mel Blankish ooch, ouch, agony noises, mm. which attracts the tension of the French Canadian question mark furrier. Yeah. Who runs the place? Now, he is disgusted at the fox that he's trapped. Now, the fox, uh, who really needs a name? I will just call him the fox. We'll call him Red. <laughs> you know what? We'll call red. him Red because sure. he is, he's a red fox, by the way. And he's right. pointing out to, on this on the uh, label on the um, leg hold trap that he's a fox. But the furrier points out the silver part. He's only interested in silver foxes, not these lame red foxes. Gross. He, he takes them out of the trap and boots them away with one of my favorite things in Looney Tunes, which is their stock falling into garbage sound. Oh, the clatter. Yeah, this. Yeah. yeah. And it, it ends with this like Koshmo noise. Didn't he have at the beginning also that falling uh, bomb noise, that noise? Oh, probably. Yeah, yeah. I was dazzled by the clatter. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, the fox ends up in garbage and he's dejected until he notices that one of his hands, or paws, has landed in a discarded can of silver paint. You know how these things in Looney Tunes goes. 
The furrier's walking away, but then he starts hearing these ooch, ouch, agony noises again. And when he comes back, there's the most brilliant, shining, beautiful silver fox he's ever seen. It's really a nice effect. I like it, the way it, it looks. It is, yeah. yeah. The, the way that this silver fox is drawn is it's pretty. It's 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 really cool. Yep. So obviously he takes this fox and commenting along the way that Mrs. Van Doe will pay top dollar. So Red, who is now silver, gets shown into his uh, holding cell past all the other actual silver foxes. And the the prisoner next to him explains that they are breaking out of here tonight at nine. Now, Red still doesn't really understand the concept here, and he is hesitant to leave, although he is warned. We're busting out at nine, and if you're not with us, uh, I assume that Red takes this as a threat from his neighbor and not a warning about what's going to happen. Right. He no. Oh, it's worth noting just for one gag here that Mm -hmm. one of his. One of his excuses for not getting out is that he's locked in and he doesn't have the key. And so oh, the guy yeah. next to him uses a na- uh, bites a nail file into the shape of the key. So that's all so good. beautiful that he's got a yeah. nail file. It, more, it's not a nail file. It's like a, a big, uh, yeah, it's a file file. It's a, it's a file. Yeah. And the, the misdirect that you're going to use this for the bar. No, I'm going to yeah, yeah. bite it into the shape of a key. <laughs> I was misdirected. Exactly. Yeah. It's <laughs> so good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Another thing that's so good. You know, there are a lot of clock gags in cartoons and a lot of them are overused, but sure. sometimes you get a good one. Like there was that yeah. one in the uh, was it the fresh vegetable caper um, that I okay. commented on? But there's one here as well, where at seven o'clock, the cuckoo pops out and goes on your mark. He's got a sign that says on yeah. your mark. And then at eight o'clock, he pops out again, get set. And at nine o'clock, he pops out with a starter's pistol and shoots it off. And all the silver foxes all open up their cells and run out. The one next to Red stops to unlock the door and let uh, Red out. And Red is happy to lead the charge until all the foxes go past him, at which point he turns right back around and gets back into his cell and throws the key away because he thinks he's got it made until Mm -hmm. until he notices a tag on his cell, which says that this fox skin is reserved for Mrs. Van Doe for a cape. And he starts thinking about this fox skin. How are they going to get it off? And then he hears a sound from outside. And when he looks in the window, he sees furrier man sharpening an ax. And that's when it hits him. What meant. Hmm. In a panic with the furrier coming in the gag that made the whole key thing, me mentioning the key worthwhile. Okay, yeah. He runs through the bars that are too wide to contain him, grabs the key, comes back to his cell, unlocks the door and runs. We've mentioned it before. This is a godsend to kids who (laughs) always uh, note when a cartoon has drawn the bars so wide the person could just get out. Yeah. And they're always disappointed in the cartoon. Well, this cartoon delivers for that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so so Red goes running. And uh, the furrier releases the hounds to chase him. Now, obviously, the chase goes through a 
river or lake or something. And when red comes out the other side, he is red again because the paint is washed off. And noticing this, he stops the hounds to tell him, hey, wait, he's I'm not a silver fox. I'm a red fox. I'm gross. You don't want that. Well, the hounds don't care and they just beat him up. <laughs> OK, yeah. And now we go back to the present day with Red explaining to the crows exactly what his problem with the radio was. And the crows are on board with it and join in chopping the thing to pieces. You know, I love this. I love this cartoon, but I'll admit the ending is weirdly abrupt. It is. Yeah. And it's like the crows don't even have their full line recorded or something. And then it fades to black really quickly when they start cracking the radio. It's really weird. Yeah, I noticed that, too. I was almost thinking, like, was this edited in some way right probably not right. it's probably no. just this is as far as the story goes and uh, the, i guess the the crows joining in is a decent punchline yeah when uh, i rewatched this cartoon this year it just brought back how much i loved this cartoon as a kid like almost <laughs> irrationally really? i was excited when this one came on yes <laughs> it's the one with the silver fox and like everything i uh, practically everything i irrationally love about this cartoon like even the close-up of the axe being uh sharpened on the grindstone wheel just like Mm. every little detail i don't know why i was just really drawn to this one i don't know that i have any memory of ever seeing this cartoon before Uh, okay um but it is good i like it i like this fox like he's so mild mannered and naive like it's his smile his smile is so charming yeah yeah weird to see a looney tunes animal not being nefarious in some way or smarter than everyone. Like he's a legitimate victim dealing with being a victim. And it's not, there's no other animal. It's not like there's a guard hound in the Fox farm who is, you know, constantly assaulting him in some way. Like, right. It's, it's really charming. You're right. It's what they could bring this character back. I mean, give him a name, but Red, I guess. But if if, if they brought him back, um, like in one of the new Looney Tunes shorts, Mm. uh, well, I think his basic design is pretty fun. But then based on only this precedent, you could (laughs) surround him with weirdos like his weird uh, next door cellmate. You know, Mm, that guy was pretty weird. Like they they could do that. Yeah. I thought of um, because we had talked about it relatively recently. I thought of Gotcha Grabmore from Tiny Toons. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, you mean bring her back for it to to interact with this guy? (laughs) She can be his ultimate foil. Like she's she's constant because she she discovers that like he has this particular like shade of red fur that's actually really rare. Or, you know, sometimes villains just irrationally want things like, you know, Jesse and James, there's other Pikachu out there and for whatever reason, Gotcha decides this fox, I've got to have him as a stole. Sure. Well, you know, I, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I guess you could do more with Gotcha, too. You could do more biting commentary, like biting impression of Zsa Zsa's uh, <laughs> frivolousness, the, you know. All the hottest references from 1990. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> she could slap a cop. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that's what that's what cartoons are, right? Like the cartoons we watched as kids had lots of Carl Sagan parodies and Barbara <laughs> Walters and yeah, oh, yeah. oh Barb Barbara Walters as told by Saturday Night Live. 
Pretty, yeah, pretty much. Gross. Yeah. <laughs> I remember, like, they would they would reference stuff that I didn't even know, like... Well, exactly, because it was, like, people have been holding on to these ideas for over a decade, right? Yeah. And now they have their chance to make it topical for seven-year-olds Well, even things, even things like, um, I remember there was an episode of Tiny Toons where Babs went to Hollywood, and... Yeah. There was a gag where David Letterman popped out of a window and he said, I'm David Letterman and I'm not wearing pants. Right. And I was like, I don't know who David Letterman is, but OK. Wow, you didn't. You did not know. Huh? Uh, not at that time. But also, I mean, the, the example that I will always go to is the Good Feathers. Mm. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, the Good Feathers isn't particularly good. But at the same time, oh, no. if ostensibly... How old was Animaniacs, like, what age was it aimed at compared to the age of people who have seen the super violent mobster movie Goodfellas? Right. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, this is about foxes. Uh, yes. And it's cool. It's it's also kind of cool to see a fox. Like I said, he's not, he's he's being naive and, and soft and... Right. He's not trying to, like, steal chickens or something from the far chicken farm, which, you know, there's enough cartoons about some animal trying to steal chickens from a chicken farm. We don't need to talk about those. All right. So uh, I'll just throw this one. Th oh, wait. No, I should talk about it. It's a Foghorn Leghorn cartoon that I have to review for you. It's called Strangled Eggs, which sounds pretty morbid, actually. Yeah, it does. Um, it's directed by Robert McKimson, my favorite. From 1961. As all so, Foghorn Leghorns are. Well, true that. Okay, so Foghorn searches his rundown squalid coop for food, but he finds his cupboard is as bare as a cooch dancer's midriff. His wow. words. Wow. Well, you know what? A cooch dancer is an exotic dancer from fairs or carnivals. Okay. So I don't think that it initially meant specifically that, but then again... This is an old-timey cartoon, so maybe it did. Yeah. But anyway. Um, out his... I had to, like, look it up. To confirm. <laughs> did he say that? Um, out his window, the rooster spies Prissy, the, the spinster hen, you know, the one that says, yes. Um, she's watering her flowers at her spruced-up home. And he figures wooing her could be his road to an easy life. He comes calling with flowers. And Prissy lets him in with her signature, yes. With remarkable timing, though, a baby in a basket is left on a doorstop, on the doorstop just then. So inside is Henry Hawk, the little brown chicken hawk, who is always out to eat chickens. Astonishingly, Foghorn's first reaction is that this other sentient bird is a squab, an immature pigeon, ready to eat. <laughs> Prissy doesn't let him cook the baby, who then speaks up and announces that he's a chicken hawk. Well, that's different. Instead, he tries to shoot him with a shotgun quite dangerously while Prissy is holding him. Yeah. Uh, she doesn't let him and won't listen when he implores that they have to get rid of him because he's a chicken hawk. Those hunt chickens, right? So, yeah. Um, and then she uh, she increases her dialogue from one word to two. She's able yeah. to say no. Oh, yeah. At one point, she goes, whoa, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah she's really the uh, uh, Big Mac of her day. Hmm. Um, <laughs> so Fo Foghorn proposes to raise Henry like a chicken so that he'll act like one. Uh, 
The first lesson is to crow from the hayloft of the barn. But while Foghorn demonstrates, Henry catches him in a noose and then drops him into a bubbling cauldron. The blowhard jumps out, but when he admonishes him, the tot answers that when he smells chicken, I like it, I like it, I like it. <laughs> this phrase by Mel Blanc is just one degree off of his speedy Gonzales. Hmm. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. You can imagine Speedy saying that same thing, right? Anyway, Something anyway. like it in Spanish. Um, so F. Leghorn reverts to his original purpose, killing the baby. He paints an army surplus hand grenade like an egg and ties a string to its pin. He instructs the chicken hawk to sit on the egg until it hatches, and then he sneaks off. Now, this challenges gender norms, but also... This is weird, I think, to coach a baby to hatch a baby. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't thought of that, um, but yeah. At any rate, when Foghorn pulls the string from a safe distance, the whole egg is pulled. The string loops around him, and then it's only then that the dangling grenade separates from its pin. The rooster's first instinct is to delicately try to put the pin back in, but he can't manage to do it before it explodes, leaving him charred and partially featherless. Uh... <laughs> It's funny. It's, it's funny that's what he would first do as opposed to run away or, you know, or take, take cover that he's just kind of trying to poke the pin in there. Well, the immediate. Well, it's tied to him. He can't get away. No, wait. No, it's not. The pin no, is it's tied it, to The him. pin is tied yeah, to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, you're right. But I, I mean, I can see how, oh, it'll be easy enough to get this pin back in there. But you're right. Yeah, he, he should have just run. You know, one of the hallmarks of Miyazaki's old stuff mm. is heroes that are too cool to be scared by grenades. So like <laughs> a grenade will land and they'll just be like, Ugh, and they'll kick it away or they'll throw it back, you know? Yeah. Anyway, there's that, there's that scene in Captain America, too, with the grenade. Mm. Mm. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so. Uh, Foghorn's next ploy is to lay landmines all over the yard. <laughs> boy, this <laughs> boy, the stuff that the U.S. Army has for sale surplus is kind of right. amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, here in Canada, we have like, you know, rain boots. Oh, well, that's that's my. <laughs> yeah, that's my thing for gun nuts that, you know, or are, are like that have no limits. Like, well, shouldn't you be able to own landmines then put them in your yard? You know, like Foghorn's doing here. Yeah. Um, so the ploy is that he's going to train Henry to scratch up the yard. Uh, but the little hawk's impulse is to bite his finger, and the angry Foghorn chases him, himself setting off mine after mine. So at last, Foghorn decides to act like a chicken hawk himself. I guess sort of like if you can't beat him, join him. He flies through the air, more like a fighter craft in posture and sound effect. Hmm. But that little hypocrite runs to Prissy's protection and warns that there's a chicken hawk after them. <laughs> when, <laughs> when Foghorn dives after them, he's too late and he collides with a slam door. He gives up then, quoting his father, a shoemaker, stick to your last. And that means stick to what you're good at. And I guess what he's good at is starving in poverty. <laughs> <laughs> That's the end of this cartoon. This yeah. weird, weirdly structured cartoon. Yeah. I mean, this, this is, is a weird one. It feels it almost feels typical for a. It feels like this is not the only Foghorn Lego car, Lego <laughs> Foghorn Leghorn cartoon I've seen. Where yeah. he's teaching somebody something. Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. Um, I kind of expected some turning point, though, of him being a chicken hawk. You know, yeah. that, that would 
backfire on Prissy or something, you know, or, but it just kind of ends here where he just gives up. Um, yeah. Well, they had six minutes. It, yeah, well, sure. It's also weird that it's like, this is a chicken hawk one, but it's also a baby in a basket one. And um, one, one summary I read of the plot of this episode suggests that that baby in a basket thing was set up by Henry, that that was a ploy. But I don't think he really acts like it. No, not really. You'd think he would have pounced on the chickens as soon as he got out of his... Because even when he gets in, like, when he's in the kitchen, he's like, I smell chickens. Like, he didn't know there were going to be chickens there. But also, right. also, I like, <laughs> speaking of which, that the note mm. to the basket was like... yeah. Dear lady, please take care of my little one. Signed, big one. Yeah, that is funny. That is a good Actually, I was distracted that there was uh, such a lack of margin on the bottom of the page. That person didn't write their note with much planning. (laughs) It's kind of bothered me. Um, There's one other uh, foghorn leghorn, you know, my old man used to sight on me kind of thing. Yeah. Which was uh, fidgety as a bubble dancer with a slow leak. Yeah. Which I looked up, and I think a bubble dancer in this context is a dishwasher. Oh, but, really? As in a person who washes washes dishes, not a machine. Huh. That's not what I assumed. Well, I assumed it was another exotic dancer reference first, but... Yeah, I assumed, like, I've seen this mostly in cartoons, I think. Um, right. The idea of an exotic dancer who is naked except for some balloons and then pops right. them strategically as the dance goes on. Right. Well, I I think it's not as dirty as that. But yeah. Okay. Anyway. Mm. Yeah. Weird cartoon, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's a little weird, but, you know, it's it's a pretty I picked this one because it had two recurring Foghorn Leghorn characters that weren't the dog. In the, right. In Henry Hawk and Miss Prissy. Yeah, they actually gave them names. Go figure. Yeah. Name real names. Yeah. So, hmm. yeah, I, I, I like Foghorn Leghorn. Not I, I would say there isn't even enough fog, Foghorn Leghorn in this cartoon. Like, because the funny thing oh, yeah. about him is him saying gibberish, not really doing stuff. And that's weird I, to say, because that's what most Foghorn Leghorn cartoons are, is him, you know, playing pranks on the dog or whatever. That's but, weird, because I, I feel that when he appears in modern Looney Tunes stuff, that he's too much of that. You know, pay attention when you're talking to me, boy. And he's just kind of obnoxious. Mm, okay, yeah. Well, maybe he's better when he's talking to the camera half the time. Maybe cartoon writers in the 60s were better than cartoon writers today. Hmm. Hmm. Well, um. Oh, you, you've given me a flimsy transition here. How about a couple of cartoon writers roughly from today? Hey there, this is Matsy in the editing process. I just wanted to point out that we are about to spoil a pretty cool cartoon that's available on YouTube. And both Micah and I decided that it would probably be a good idea to put in a little disclaimer here and let you know that we both think that this cartoon is cool enough that you should probably watch it before we spoil it. So if you're interested in that, pause now and go to YouTube and look up Tales of Alethrion or just find The Reward by the Cartoon Workshop, and watch that before you listen to the rest of that. Because we're going to tell you every detail of this cartoon, and it's cool enough that if you're into that kind of thing, you should probably watch it for yourself. Okay? And then come back when you're done. Yeah, okay. Uh, It's the Animation Workshop, uh, although it's also um, 
Sun Creatures Studios. Mm. Um, and also the YouTube uh, channel Tales of Elethrion. Yeah, because because this cartoon that you gave me, uh, which is from Denmark, I think, actually mm. spawned a Kickstarter for an entire series, uh, which this is from 2013. So it's like nine years ago, um, mm. but it has built itself into something. It's there's a cartoon series. There's an, uh, a, a tabletop games. Um, it's kind of a thing. Yeah. And what it is specific, like I said, it's Tales of Alethrion, but this is from before it was established as Tales of Alethrion, and instead it's just called The Reward. Hmm. And this is what it is. So it starts with this... Ugh, I got hiccups now. That's unfortunate timing. Um, yeah. So it starts with this red-headed guy who I believe... There's, this, this is all dialogue-free. But from what mm. I have gleaned in other sources, I believe that this character is named Vito. OK. And he is trying to woo this woman. Oh, this is taking place in like this sun baked desert town, kind of like um, kind of like the settlement on Tatooine in the first Star Wars. Sure. You know, like these mud huts. And anyway, he's trying Where to get a young boy would dream of something bigger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. This young boy is dreaming of the big boobs on the <laughs> woman that he's trying to woo, but she is completely uninterested. And neither is another guy standing by who is just he's reading a book of adventure and just rolls his eyes at the idiot Vito. This guy, I believe, is named Wilhelm. Based on another episode that I saw called Wilhelm's Curse. He is not impressed with this this Vito's attempts to get to this girl, but he is impressed with the spectacular adventurer who shows up. He effortlessly gets that same girl who is wearing very elaborate panties for this, <laughs> this impoverished town. But mm. also he drops a map, a treasure map. If we are to believe the X on it, now, Vito has also spotted this map, and the two have a little scuffle, which results, as you might imagine, in the map being torn in half. So the two have to travel together if they want to get their uh, reward, their treasure. As they go, they pass by a tree and find a sword and staff, where Vito decides he's going to be the mage of the party, and Wilhelm will be the fighter. Turns out that these were actually just left behind by a couple who were doing it behind the tree. And so we get a, a series of um, uh, this this cartoon. It's, it's kind of an adventure cartoon, but it doesn't really focus on the adventure that much. They're all really quick. It, we yeah, we demonstrate that, you know, Wilhelm has to save Vito from a cursed cave. And then Vito saves Wilhelm from some weird tentacle siren beast. And they seem to form a bond. They they're actually figuring out how to deal with all this stuff. They're they're cutting through bamboo, which turns out it's actually kind of cute that it's like the bamboo legs of some creatures. Um, right. They go through a canyon and they end up in this spectacularly modern city. And knowing that there's a spectacularly modern city actually made me go, OK, now I see where that girl got her panties from. <laughs> answered. Yeah. Question well, is answered. Because it was so cool. It was so yeah. anachronistic. Anyway, right. Anyway, it's um, really cool that they the, the design of this. It's a vertical city. Yes. Um, 
and it's only around for a handful of shots, but it could, and I imagine is, a setting for the bigger narrative. Probably, yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, Wilhelm, who has been kind of... So Vito is really happy and, like, perky, and and Wilhelm is kind of... Ugh. But yeah. when they reach this city, is Wilhelm who raises his hand for a celebratory high five. The two, it turns out, are bonding. Now, hmm. Vito is excited by a bar. Wilhelm just, eh, fine, let him have his fun. Uh, Wilhelm is more interested in shopping for supplies that they will need on their quest. And Vito is trying to hit up chicks by showing them that he has half of a treasure map, which attracts the attention of a woman at the bar. Later, we see uh, v, uh, v, Wil, Wilhelm. I'm getting the two mixed up. Wilhelm Meh. has done his shopping, but he is accosted by that same woman and her flunkies. They have obtained the first half of the map and they want his half. A fight ensues, but obviously Wilhelm is a hero and he is able to fend them off, uh, basically making the big guy run away by cutting off his cool hair and running hey. the woman through. Unfortunately, he loses two of his fingers in the fight. And he gets the, the other half of the map back, but now he's worried about what happened to Vito, and he rushes into the bar to find that Vito is totally drunk. Apparently, he just didn't care about the map. And, uh, well, well, he didn't notice, I guess. Probably. Yeah. Well, maybe. Yeah. But Wilhelm's feelings are hurt, and he tosses down the map in frustration. Maybe he thought they were, you know... Something. He staggers away, losing blood until he finally passes out. When he wakes up, he finds himself in the lap of Vito at a campsite. He finds that his hand has been bandaged and that Vito has both halves of the map. Also, he is awakened by Vito's tears falling on his face. Hmm. So now they're really bonding. The two of them go on spectacular adventures together. They get girls, they get treasure. There's even a shot that implies that they slept together. I don't think so. I think they're just, um, Naked I mean, maybe I'm together. being, well, um, they're like in a cave. They're not like in a hotel or something, right? They're, they're in a cave and their backs are like this big beast, as I recall. It is. And they yes. fall blanket over them. Yeah. I think they're just, um, such good, maybe I'm being naive. I, th I think they're such good friends that there's not like any barriers to this kind of thing where they're just sleeping side by side, but anyway. Without shirts. Well, I don't know. Would you leave your armor and... Sh uh, I, I guess I, that's I, true. I guess that's true. Anyway, they they grow up together. They get spectacular mustaches and beards and become <laughs> like super high quality like adventurers. Like Vito is a solid mage and Wilhelm is a spectacular fighter. And eventually they get to the X. It's a tower and the inside of it has a big X marked on the floor. Wilhelm looks all over the place for the treasure that they've earned, but there's nothing there. And then Vito spots the actual treasure. He points out to Wilhelm their reflection in the wall, or mirror, maybe? Yeah. And that's when they realize what their true reward was. They have become the ultimate adventurer heroes. And they... Oh, uh, hmm? Yeah. Oh, the cliche. It's the friends you made along the way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you kind of knew that's yeah. where this was going, but. Sure. 
but it's worth it for the high five that they give that is creates a <laughs> shockwave visible from space. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then we go back to that same desert, I don't know, dust hole. Tatooine, yeah. Yeah, Tatooine. These two young guys are just hanging out together, looking disgruntled. And much like Wilhelm at the beginning, they are astounded by the arrival of these two spectacular heroes, Vito and Wilhelm. They look down on them, and after exchanging a glance, they toss these two the map. And the two of them fight over it and tear it in half, and the cycle begins anew. Oh, and also I think mm. they got girls at the end. Oh, yeah, yeah, they just pulled them up because, you know. That's <laughs> that's how studly they are. Just get on my horse. Yeah. Actually, I like I like that the two women high five each other, too. Like, yeah. Yes. Like, that's what they were after. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know what I like about this is that this is really story driven. Like you you get to see cool monsters and like sure. implied awesome fights and stuff. But it's not. Oh, yeah, about, it's just a montage. It's not yeah. about that. It's about the characters. And. I well, think that's really cool. I like getting a glimpse of this, like, you know, siren thing that is like a tentacle. And I like yeah, yeah. getting a glimpse of like, you know, some kind of dragon with like a lantern fish thing on its head and all. And, sure. you know, things that are implied like there. There's a shot of them in silhouette from the back holding up the head of something as a gathered throng cheers for them. Yes. But, yes. Or or when they fight that giant wizard. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 The, yeah. It kind of looks God, like God. I guess. Yes. Yeah. It seems yeah, like they yeah. slayed a deity. Like they've become super yeah. powerful. And I like that. Like it's focused on its story. It's still telling you that they've had awesome adventures, but it's focused on the growth of these two characters. And I, isn't it, it amazing? Isn't it amazing that something this short tells something of the scope? It's cool. Have you watched yeah. any of the other Tales of Eletrion? I'm I have not yet, but uh, you know, I'm I think I'm bound to. I watched one just because I yeah. I it was episode five. So in the actual series, this was the first one. Yeah. But in the timeline of the series, this is episode three. And right. there are previous episodes that explain the original hero and stuff. Well, that's one thing, is I, I wonder like once you add dialogue to this and and you know, terrible oh, don't. plotting. Oh, they don't. Oh, no, okay. I've watched. I watched episode five simply yeah. because it was called Wilhelm's Curse. And I wanted okay. to establish who was Vito and who was Wilhelm. And so I watched <laughs> okay. that one because I thought there might be some naming involved. Yeah. And I guess it worked because I saw which one of them had the curse and assumed it was uh, Wilhelm. But yeah, so the other episode that I watched, uh, it's a similar thing where we discover that like they're just adventuring. They've grown up a little like Wilhelm's mustache is way bigger. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, Vito's hair is way longer. Um, yeah. And it establishes that Wilhelm has some kind of a curse where he is wearing a necklace. And if he takes that necklace off, he just kind of turns into this burned husk. Huh? And so. They just, well, I, you know, I won't explain it. I'll, I'll let you figure it out, but I will say that sure. it, it, it almost seems like it's the end of the Wilhelm and Vito story because huh. as I understand it, it seems like Kickstarter backers that pledged a certain amount got to add their own, uh, information to this world. Okay. Like it's, it's right. kind of a crowdsourced fantasy world and, mm. 
so I think they've just kind of instead of focusing on these two characters, it seems like and I could be wrong because I haven't watched it all, but it kind of seems like instead of focusing on these two characters, Sun Creatures Studios is focusing on the world that they're in. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that that montage, you could easily imagine Finn and Jake doing all that stuff, I think. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Yeah. Oh, this is. Mm, I was going to say it's Adventure Time before Adventure Time, but it's not. It's after. Sure. It's its own aesthetic, though, too. So. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, This is cool. This is really yeah. cool. And like I said, the YouTube channel is Tales of Alethrion. That's A-L-E-T-H-R-I-O-N. And there's a bunch of there are several episodes there, but there's also behind the scenes stuff and lore stuff and all kinds of stuff. It's probably worth checking out and I'll probably check out more of this. And um, as you alluded to, from what I have seen, it all seems to have be dialogue free. So okay. no language barrier involved. Everybody can watch this and enjoy it. By the way, did you miss the after credits scene? Oh, I guess I did. OK. Huh. I'll have to. Well, hang on. I'll. Hang on. I'll click, OK, sure. I'll, let's see here. Um. Oh, <laughs> I just um, <laughs> I was clicking around the video and I got I clicked near the end and I came to the special thanks page. Um, oh. Morton Thorning, the Animation Workshop staff, Lawrence Marvitt, Dungeons and Dragons and Pokemon. <laughs> OK. All right. So let's see what this let's watch in real time. What happens? Oh, so there's the X and the thing again. And oh, behind the mirror. There's some kind of dead guy on a throne holding a chest that's locked up. <gasps> is it isn't that funny that the answer is no, it's 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 what you've become on the journey. It's the friends you made along the way. No, if you smash that mirror, actually, there's treasure behind it. <laughs> <laughs> Sentimental people don't get the treasure. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, they got friendship and apparently they got women all over the place. Sure. Although, yeah, yeah. spoiler for Wilhelm's curse, one of them settles down. <gasps> and I also know death of adventure. Well, I also noticed that episode seven is called Daughter's Revenge. So I'm like, OK, hmm. Anyway, yeah, I'm curious about this. This is a really interesting thing that um, is definitely worth watching more of. Um, hmm. hmm. With that There's in mind. no transition. Yeah. Um, <laughs> speaking of having good friends and being fabulously wealthy and strong. Okay. Okay. <laughs> We're looking at Droopy's Double Trouble, directed by one Tex Avery in 1951. Okay. You know Droopy, that uh, energyless dog. So he uh, is... Well, actually, the, the head dog butler, Mr. Thieves, um, prepares for a journey, but he instructs his underling, Droopy, to hire some reliable help in order to maintain the mansion while he's gone. Droopy calls his twin brother, Drippy, for this sweet gig. Drippy's knock at the front door is a series of punches that make holes, and finally he makes a bigger hole by just walking through the door. <laughs> Droopy notes that his brother is strong. He then dresses him properly as a butler and, in fact, makes him look identical. Um, I don't know that Drippy is suited for any job. <laughs> Maybe demolition. Well, um, I think he was at, I mean, uh, Droopy called him at the gym. Maybe he works there. 
Maybe he's a personal trainer. He can't even open a door. Anyway, um, <laughs> so Droopy takes thieves suitcases to the car. So he misses the instruction that Drippy gets that he allow no strangers on the premises. Instead, Droopy meets his friend outside, Spike, also known as Butch, also known as the Great Puccini. He's the bulldog, uh, Irish bulldog. So anyway, uh, the down on his luck bulldog asks for a handout. So Droopy tells him to go around to the back door. But it's Drippy who answers the knock and he hits Spike into the hammock, which bounces him back into the now closed door, which then Droopy answers now that Drippy is gone. Remember, these guys, these Drippy and Droopy look identical. So Droopy seats uh, Spike, but while he's looking in the refrigerator, Drippy enters, knocks Spike with the table out to the patio, then leaves before Droopy brings out a ham for his friend. Then, while he goes back for the mustard, Drippy comes and batters him and throws him into the pool. Droopy assumes that Spike was just going for a swim, and he drags him back inside to dress him up in the master's clothes. He leaves to get shoes, and you guessed it, Drippy comes in, beats the confused bulldog, hurls him out through the window, and leaves before Spike returns because... He landed on the swimming pool diving board that then bounced him back through the window and into his seat. So Spike is concussed and Droopy just thinks he's tired. When the Irish ne'er-do-well awakes, he's comfortably in pajamas in a big canopy bed. He rings for help, you know, he pulls the big rope, uh, but Drippy arrives and punches him through the bathroom door. Uh, Droopy believes that Spike's talk of being walked by him is just a dream. He sets him up for a refreshing shower. He leaves for a towel, but Drippy arrives in that time frame to punch Spike through the glass shower door. Drippy has done so much damage to this mansion already. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the only instruction he got was no strangers. There's nothing about don't damage all the expensive belongings. Yeah, I guess. Um, so, uh, Spike insists that he holds on to Droopy so that he can't get hurt. But circumstances nevertheless make it happen to him. Uh, when Droopy enters one walk-in closet to get the towel-wearing dog a robe, Drippy comes out the adjacent closet and hits him with a bat. Every time, like, puts Droopy in and Drippy comes out and hits him with a bat. I actually looked and it worked out that, he that yeah, the hand that he's holding of Droopy's is opposite the one that's swinging the bat, so... <laughs> Um, <laughs> That's a level of detail that I would not have thought of. Yeah, I, I, I look to uh, deconstruct this thing. Mm. Anyway, uh, Spike concludes, because Droopy doesn't have any idea that, he's, that this stuff has happened to him. He concludes that Droopy has gone mad. So he calls the insane asylum truck. When they arrive, Spike calls for Droopy to the front door, but both Droopy and Drippy arrive. He's seeing double. The sight makes him crazy, and while he's freaking out, Spike is the one who is caught in the butterfly net and driven away. <laughs> As a kid, I always look forward to this ending. I really love seeing Spike dressed in just a bath towel, freaking out, especially when he grabs his ankles and <laughs> bonks himself in the he bonks himself in the head with alternate feet. Oh, these are the best of Tex Avery's wild takes. Oh, yeah, yeah. And all the times that uh, Drippy grabs Spike and then 
just hits him back and forth on the ground. You know, don't, 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 don't. There's like a, a, a madcap rhythm to it. Oh, there is. Those slams. Oh, yeah. Like the rhythm is a great word for it. Just the timing of like throwing him out, watching him spring off the like <laughs> yeah. tennis court and come back or like. Yeah, yeah. Like it's, mm, man, it's weird. I guess it's because of Butch's presence that yeah. a droopy cartoon can be so frenetic. But okay, it it really is right. I guess you're saying, yeah, I you're saying, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I guess this cartoon is the prototype for cartoons where Droopy has identical relatives that make him seem to be in more than <laughs> one place at once. It it is. It's the first one we see a Droopy relative. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I gotta say, you called him Butch there. I think of him as he's Butch first, not Spike. But I do think it's funny that initially he's named Spike. Mm-hmm. Which uh, is the name of the bulldog in Tom and Jerry cartoons, also owned by MGM. Yeah. So then they name him Butch, which is the name of black the black cat that's Tom's rival. <laughs> I guess they're uh, not very creative when it comes to naming things. I mean, you'd think they could um, have come up with some kind of an Irish name. Seamus. Sure, Seamus. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I like that he calls the baseball bat a shillelagh. Right. Oh, Spike, I didn't hit you with a shillelagh. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the cantrip that um, every druid needs. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Another funny thing about uh, MGM Symmetry is this same year, 1951, they released the Tom and Jerry cartoon called Jerry's Cousin, in which Jerry's oh. super strong cousin visits. You know what? I almost was... gave you that one this week. Oh, yeah, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> But funny, same year, same, not entirely the same premise because Tom isn't fooled that it's a different mouse, but yeah. Yeah, but you notice that like it's the same bowler hat and the same like sure. striped shirt. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. Huh. Good old cousin muscles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's, it's that one's directed by uh, Hannah and Barbara, so. Um. But may maybe they just worked off the same premise. I don't know. Maybe some guy came into the studio one day and all the animators went, hey, look. At oh, yeah. S some some guy punched a bunch of holes through the door and came <laughs> in with his bowler hat. <laughs> but I, you know what? I don't I don't know yeah. why I just made this leap. Maybe it's because of in jokes of animators. Yeah. But it was like within this past week. Oh, which reminds me of something else I want to talk about. It was within okay. this last week that I realized that Elmira, um, her baby talk things is the equivalent yeah. of Elmer Fudd's speech impediment. I, oh, I, I never figured that out as a kid. You're constantly making new discoveries about Elmira Duff. Yeah, I guess so. Hmm. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention, which is I've been meaning to say this for like three weeks. Okay. It relates to Captain N, the game master. And All right, more Captain N. One of the few pieces of praise that I heaped upon it when I said that okay. when Dr. Wiley's chair turns into a craft, yeah. I said it was a really accurate depiction of the Wiley machine from Mega Man 1. Okay. Well, shortly after that, I watched a speed run of Mega Man 1 and mm. realized, no, it's not a really accurate depiction of the Wily machine from Mega Man 1. Okay. It's a really accurate depiction of the Wily machine from Mega Man 2. 
Oh my goodness. So points for getting something right in the Mega Man universe. And then those points go away because it's the wrong game. <laughs> maybe, maybe the game stole the design from Captain N. Yeah, maybe the people in Japan were paying close attention to well, hey, a cartoon that came out two years after Mega Man 2 did. The Pac-Land game used the music from the Pac-Man cartoon, so, you know, sometimes it happens. Yeah, just not two years in the past. <laughs> well, they they found the plans way in ahead, you see. <laughs> oh, yeah. Actually, you know, um, that Animation Legends uh uh, business that mails you animation cells. Oh, right. They have they have some uh, backgrounds, some concept drawings for Captain N. The the concept drawings for Captain N are really good. Oh yeah. Funny enough, hmm. yeah. Anyway, we're on, we're on a a tangent here uh, from <laughs> the Droopy cartoon. I I guess that's all we really have to say about this one. I I, I guess I, I got one other thing. Yeah. Is that there's two two voices in this? There's Bill Thompson who is Droopy and Drippy. Also, the White Rabbit in the Alice in Wonderland movie. And animation celery regular Dawes Butler yeah. is Mr. Thieves. Yeah. But really curiously is that they tag team Spike. They both contribute lines, which I assume must have been out of convenience. Like they needed some more lines and only one was available or something. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of weird. Hmm. Great. Okay. Yeah. So we had some fun today. We watched uh, hmm. some cool old cartoons and we watched a relatively new one that uh, is also yeah. really cool. And I'm looking forward to watching more of. Um, yeah. But now let's look ahead to the future. Next week is going to be the closest weekend to Canada Day. And do you remember what we did last year? We watched shorts from the National Film Board of Canada. So we're going to do that again. It's tradition. If this is your first episode of Animation Celery, you should know that it's tradition. <laughs> Two-year so, tradition now. Yeah, yeah. So, now I've selected a couple of long ones for you, Micah. Um, not too long. That's I, what she said. I, okay. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, All right. They're under 10 minutes, I believe. Uh, well, that's not long. The first one, we'll go chronologically. The first one is from 1999. And it's called My Grandmother Ironed the King's Shirts. All right. Now, I should mention this. The director of this, uh, Terrell Cove, I think her name is. You'll tell me next week. OK. Um, she also directed a cartoon in 2006 called The Danish Poet. And I almost gave you that one. Mm. But then at the last minute, I decided that one is so good that I don't want you to spoil it for people. Okay. So we're going to talk about my grandmother ironed the king's shirts, and it is also good. Don't get me wrong, but I just want to okay. mention for everybody listening, the Danish poet. I think it won the Academy Award that year. It is mm -hmm. an excellent cartoon and you should all go watch it right away. I'll watch it and we'll talk vaguely about it okay. next time. And the other cartoon, <laughs> the third, I guess. The one that I'm actually mm. assigning you to watch All right. is from 2006, uh, and it is called simply Here and There. All right. Okay, well, for you, Matsy, uh -huh. I have picked The Mountain of Escana. Ooh, I don't... That's S-G-A-A-N-A. -A -A. I don't know that one. 
Mm. I don't either, really. I watched it a little bit, but anyway. Uh, the other one, you might you likely know, <laughs> it's John Law and the Mississippi Bubble. Yep. I know <laughs> okay. that one. I mean, I've only watched it yeah. once, but um, it's one of those... Um, uh, uh, what's the guy's Condi that R- Richard Condi? Yes, it's yeah, it might be his first one, actually. Hmm. OK, cool. So we will watch those uh, as for now. I guess we sign off. Uh, mm-hmm. I am AC Matsy on Twitter. Uh, feel free to tweet at me uh, and feel free to tweet about animation celery so that everybody knows about it. You can give us questions. You can give us what to watch. Uh, just lots of communication is always worthwhile. As I said, AC Matsy on Twitter. Yep. Uh, make sure to pre-order our fake platform fighter, Animation Celery Slammers. I am at Drab Swatch on the Twitters. And now I got to head out to the grocery store before it closes. We need a jar of uh, kosher baby dill pickles and the Celery Stalker slogan. Too bad. The poor little fella's cracking up. Oh.